We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. So, Jasmine, who should we know? We should know Priscilla Studd. Priscilla Studd, and she was the wife of C.T. Studd. And his his biography is um, better known because yes. he was a cricket player. He was a cricketer. Yes, he was. He was famous, actually. Yes. And he was also very controversial. So this ought to be kind of interesting today. Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about C.T. Studd because his father was a really outspoken Christian. Mm-hmm. And C.T. Studd came from a very wealthy family, but when his father got saved, he started, you know, selling everything. Yep. And just they were very wealthy and liquidating yeah, kind of, yeah. and giving just everything to Jesus. Yeah. And that put CT Stud off just a bit mm-hmm. and his brothers too. But then he goes to Cambridge mm-hmm. and he hears of all people D.L. Moody. Yes. And D.L. Moody, uh, the story about D.L. Moody preaching at Cambridge is amazing. Mm, you want to do that really quick? Go ahead sure. and share that story. So D.L. Moody in. goes to Cambridge and the upperclassmen are so upset that this uneducated American has come to speak to them. I mean, they're educated, uh, they're sophisticated, and here he's come. So they bring these sticks that they have, kind of like these staffs. And, um, of course, um, D.L. Moody was uh, uh, just filled with American colloquialisms and it just when he would speak. And mm-hmm. so every time he would do one of them, they'd go, hee-haw! you know, really loudly so that he couldn't talk. <laughs> and then when um, Iris Sankey was trying to sing, they started just uh, meowing and doing all sorts of cat calls and everything so that he couldn't be heard. Awesome. Yep. And it was so bad. And they shouted D.L. Moody down so he couldn't even speak. <laughs> so they came to D.L. Moody and they said, all right, are you done here? You probably, you know, don't want to do this because they were scheduled for a week's worth of uh, evangelistic messages. <laughs> and here he is again. Um, D.L. Moody was not educated over seventh grade. He stopped. He mm-hmm, dropped out mm-hmm. in seventh grade. So he says, no, but I, I'll tell you this. I want to get all the mothers, Christian mothers together, yeah. all the praying mothers. So he had this prayer meeting with all of the um, praying mothers. And mm-hmm. this is in Cambridge. He got them all together. He had all the mothers praying. And then that evening he went back, but he said, you know what? I want to I do something. He said, they're going to come forward, but I want them to have to walk forward in front of their peers Mm because they would have what was called an inquiry room Mm -hmm. or a time where you could ask questions and and pray to accept the Lord. It wasn't, you would go forward, um, but you didn't kneel at the altar and pray. You would go back to this inquiry Inquiry room. room, So they'd have this, it was kind of like we did at Calvary with a prayer room where you would go back there, you could ask questions and then you could pray. And that's what they would do. And they'd have counselors back there. He says, but I want them to have to walk down to the front, walk Mm -hmm. in front of all their peers and then back to the inquiry room. So he came that night and this is after much prayer and it was silent. Nobody tried anything. And the first to give their lives to the Lord were those men with their their young men with their staffs, the hecklers. They gave their life and then everybody followed and the inquiry room was Packed out. Love it. And that's when what we call the Cambridge Seven got saved, of yep. whom um, S.P. Smith, C.T. Mm-hmm. Studd. Yeah. Uh, pole was, Hills. There are two Pole Hill brothers. Yeah. A lot yeah. Of, yeah. And then inadvertently Athletes. through that, he was considered one of the Cambridge Seven, but he didn't go to Cambridge, was D. Host, who mm. became the head of the China Inland Mission. Oh, that's so neat. After Hudson Taylor. After Hudson Taylor. That's D. Host so is just like, he's amazing. The connections between yes. these people are amazing. Well, don't so, you find that in yeah. Christ too? 
Yes. We end up like... It's a small world after all. It really is. <laughs> you get these incredible connections. And all the overlap. I yes, love I it. Love it. I Me love too. it. So yeah, so D.L. Moody did clearly played a really key role in uh, the life of, of C.T. Studd and his dad. His dad mm-hmm. would have him come and like share on his estate and stuff. That's right. And, you know, so C.T., yes, he gets like uh, radically saved. But the neat thing is his wife was a, a kind of a radical girl herself. And so uh, her name was Priscilla Livingston Stewart. And she was born in uh, 1864 in Belfast, Northern Ireland, um, into a wealthy Protestant family. So they both came from a wealthy background. Mm -hmm. And they had kind of similar stories where they, you know, maybe grew up a little bit. Well, she grew up religious because she was Irish. You know, Mm -hmm. you're either Protestant or Catholic. And it's just a, you know, to the death kind of a thing. Right. (laughs) Not necessarily for spiritual reasons. More of an affinity. Cultural. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And so she had no relationship with the Lord and— when two of her uncles got saved, it was kind of similar to what happened to C.T. with his dad. They got all v- zealous and were sharing the gospel. And and Priscilla uh, was kind of like put off by this, like, oh, so she'd avoid talking to them and try to change the subject all the time. And she said in her own words that by the time she was 18, she said, I was a mocker and a scoffer. I just thought this is so ridiculous and emotional and silly. And so she was rebellious. She was proud. Um, her life revolved around going to parties and balls and all of that sort of thing. And what was, I, I think, kind of funny was she was also a, a smoker. And this is Victorian era. And so she would Just wasn't bet, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she'd bet her friends, I can smoke six cigarettes in one evening, try to smoke them under the table if that's possible. But, you know, back then that was just not done. A chain-smoking uh, upper-class girl. <laughs> so she was rough. She was a little bit tough. And um, one night she was guilted by a friend, basically cornered into attending a Salvation Army meeting, like an evangelistic outreach, uh, because in case you didn't know, that's what the Salvation Army originally was. It was a ministry organization like yeah. the YMCA. And we're we definitely going to talk about oh, uh, the booths. Yes. Oh, heck yeah. In, we in, t- in uh, weeks to come. Oh, yes. And so she goes to this meeting and you'd think like, oh, she gave her life to the Lord. Nah, she snuck out at the end. She was like, good. I did my duty. I'm going to get out of here. But the seed was planted because she goes home and uh, there was a, a, a William Booth who had founded the Salvation Army. There was a tract that he had written lying around and it was uh, a dream he had about a shipwreck when, uh, you know, people were dying without knowledge of the Lord. And so she reads this tract and kind of is like, whatever, puts it down. Um, and then she goes to a party like soon after that. And that night she goes to sleep. And she has this vivid dream of kind of like the shipwreck kind of scene from William Booth's tract. And then this and and then she sees Jesus uh, saying, depart from me. I never knew you. And then she had this vivid picture of hell in her dream. It was just all really clear and real. And it really freaked her out. Um, But she didn't, you know, respond necessarily. She just kind of woke up the next morning like, whoa, that was weird. I think I ate something wrong, you know, trying to talk, you know, just Mm -hmm. Talk herself out of it. So then she goes to her aunt's house a couple weeks later, and um, they're having like a party with, you know, some young people and stuff, and they're all kind of sharing different experiences they've had. And so she starts telling kind of jokingly about, oh, I read this tract and I had this dream. And she's like, ah, oh, it was just lobster and champagne. She's kind of laughing about it. And her aunt's like, wait a minute, tell me a little bit more about this dream you had. And so she's like, okay, fine. So she tells the dream. And her aunt, (laughs) who um, clearly was a believer, she said, if anyone has had a warning from God, you have in that dream. You need to give your life to Jesus at once, Priscilla. Wow. And Priscilla, like, it was kind of funny. And, you know, you read the story and and it was like she was ripe. She was ready. And Mm -hmm. she just needed somebody to make that invitation and to just— 
bring it home. And she's like, you're right. She gets on her hands and knees and starts praying. And she has this powerful vision of Jesus suffering and the cross. And um, she gets up off her hands and knees and it's been two hours. She didn't realize it had been that long. And her aunt said, "What, what did you see? And she said, I saw Jesus and he is my Lord from now on wow. forward. I mean, it was a real powerful, yeah. I mean, a very powerful transformation. Definitely. And so she uh, starts, I mean, you could tell it was a, trans, uh, a like a legitimate transformation. She goes out and this is what happened with CT as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just start witnessing to everybody. I mean, she was pretty radical. She'd go out with the Salvation Army and she actually wrote about how she kind of loved the fact that people were throwing stuff at them when they'd go out trying to do she marching bands and preaching. She sounds a lot like you. Maybe that's why oh, you well, like her. I know. <laughs> she's like, like, bring it on. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, really. She was. She was very much bring it on. And she just was kind of like, oh, those were glorious days. People were throwing food and shoes at us. All the all the guys who liked me would walk on the other side of the street like they didn't know me. It was awesome. <laughs> So because she was a she was a looker, she was mm-hmm. really cute and she had a lot of suitors, I guess you would say, but they mm-hmm. all were like, oh, my gosh, I What's don't even know, yeah. I don't even know yeah. this girl, Priscilla, who. So uh, within 18 months, she's off to China um, to serve in Shanghai and uh, with uh, a missions organization. And she and another single gal went out and they were evangelizing uh, very bold, you know, and, and you know, try, they were respectful, but also trying to like, you know, just uh did she go with the China Inland Mission? I believe mm, that. I can't remember exactly. She might have been outside of that. I know he did, obviously. Right. Um, but she was helping like with Salvation Army stuff okay. over there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of other things that she mm-hmm. was involved in. And so um, it was at that time, though, that she met C.T. Studd. And they were just two peas in a pod. That right. radical like boldness for the gospel, like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care if I lose my reputation. I'm all in for Jesus. And of course, like Cheryl kind of already hinted at, CT was a famous cricket player. And we don't necessarily understand that in America, but English people, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, cricket is a big deal. Yes. It's such a popular Well, it would be like here being like a famous baseball player. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that would be, you know, really- Or an uh, American football even. Right, right. So- CT was the top, I mean, from Cambridge with Mm -hmm. uh, his fellow, you know, um, cricket cricket players, including his brothers. I mean, they were just the, you know, the star Mm -hmm. of the show and everything. Mm -hmm. It'd be kind of like a, yeah, they were good looking. It was kind of like the LeBron James. And this Mm -hmm. is an exact, not an exaggeration. He would, they were like the LeBron James or Tom Brady of their sports. Plus, I want to say this too, because this will give you a little more idea about CT Stud. After he got saved. He and S.P. Smith went around to all these churches all over England giving their testimony. And hundreds upon hundreds uh, gave their life to Christ because because, uh, C.T. and S.P. Smith were so sold out for Jesus. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a story in a book called Fit for the Master's Use by F.B. Meyer where he talked about being really frustrated in his ministry and searching them out at one night. And saying to them, what is the secret? You know, I've been a pastor for all these years Mm. and I don't have that. Dynam- that dynamic quality yeah. in my preaching. And here you are. And even though they graduated from Cambridge, it was said that they weren't brilliant. Let's right. just put it that way. They right. weren't brilliant. It might have been their connections that got them through connections Cambridge. Connections and athletics. And, yeah. Right. And F.B. Meyer was brilliant. And mm-hmm. he's looking at these and like, you know, and they said C.T. Smith was barely articulate. C.T. Studd? C.T. Yeah. Studd, sorry. Uh, C.T. Studd was barely articulate. S.P. Smith was more the spokesperson. Mm-hmm. And yet people just flocked to hear them. 
they fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole story about when they went to St. Andrew's uh, College in Scotland mm-hmm. and just how all the students then followed them yeah. to the the train even because it was that dynamic. Yes. So F.B. Meyer says, what is it? And so they would get up every morning when it was still dark, light a candle and start reading their Bible and praying. Mm. And when F.B. Meyer came to see them, they said to him, have you have you given the Lord Everything. That's probably the only yeah. secret of our lives. We just gave God everything. Yep. And he's like, well, I think in a general way I have, mm. but maybe not the particulars. And S.B. Smith said, but it's the particulars that count. Yeah. And F.B. Meyer went home and in his own words, gave all the particulars, just gave, mm. it just claimed Christ's authority over every single area of his life yeah. that he wouldn't hold on to one area. And they said from that moment on, the whole ministry of even F.B. Meyer changed. Yeah. So C.T. Yeah. Studd had given the Lord absolutely everything, had gone all over and telling people that he was giving up his career, yeah. which was really lucrative, giving up his career, his fame and everything mm-hmm. to go to China where he was an unknown. Yes. Yeah. And so that's part of the firebrand that he was. Yes, exactly. And that's that's really important background to understand, like what he was really giving up. I mean, he really was sacrificing everything. It would be like if LeBron James got saved and went on the mission field to an obscure, unknown location. Right, right. I mean, it was that Or Michael dramatic. Jordan, right. Or Michael Jordan. Yeah, if you want to go back. You know, yeah. <laughs> anybody, yeah. <laughs> I could go off on sports things. Yes. I won't yes, do you that. Could. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes, him and all these other guys, yes. because they were um, they were prestigious. They All of them, the Cambridge Seven, they were um, seven young men who all had a life of fortune and some of them fame mm-hmm. uh, that they could have pursued and they were giving everything up. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually my favorite quote from C.T. Studd. It's something that really was the trademark of his life. He said, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And that's really how he lived. Every single thing, like like you said, the particulars, lay it all down before the Lord. And so that's what made made, you know, a match made in heaven. They were a match made in heaven. Exactly. And so literally, I mean, and and honestly, even when he got to China, um, he came into his inheritance because his dad passed away Mm -hmm. millions. What would today be equivalent to several million dollars? And even in that, he read the story of the rich young ruler and felt like the Lord wants me to give this away. So he gave his fortune away. I mean, the yeah, that he really lived by that principle. And you got to understand that about him moving forward because he did some really crazy things. He did. But it really was all with that heart for God. And so uh, he meets Priscilla and he's totally smitten. I think she was like singing or helping speak at like a Salvation Army gathering in uh, Shanghai there. And they were at, stationed in separate places because he's with the China Inland Mission somewhere inland. Um, but he starts writing profusely to her, asking her to marry him and all this. And she kept turning him down, I think primarily because she was enjoying her work on the coast there and felt like, oh, the Lord's using me with this other single lady. We're going out and doing things. But he was persistent. And I love this. I have to read this because this is what she said about it later in her writings. She said, if CT were here right now, he would tell you I proposed to him. I did not. As a matter of fact, for certain reasons, I refused him. And when I tell you his answer, you will see it is just characteristic of the man. He said, you have neither the mind of God nor the will of God in the matter, but I have. And I intend to marry you whether you like it or not. So you'd better make up your mind and accept the situation. What was I to do? That's the reason why I'm Mrs. CT today. That That's is so, so him. Yes. I, she like. I mean, they were both, you know, very attracted to each other and everything, but... I just, it's not like she hated him or no, something. No, and if but you see the just... pictures of him, he was so handsome. Yes. Yes. He was handsome and yes. obviously had well a lot going. Yes, 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 exactly. And so it wasn't that. It was just, yeah, He, she just needed some a, a talking to. I don't know. Anyway, 
somehow she responded to that. Then you see what kind of people they were. So she's like, okay, fine. He's radical. I'm radical. Let's get married. So they got married May of 1888, and they served for seven years together in Lungan, China. And they established a church, a refuge for opium addicts, a medical dispensary. And what was hilarious about that is that neither of them really had medical experience. They had a kind of common sense and a few medical books. But Priscilla later said, well, hey, in seven years, we never killed anyone. So that was our track record. There's a <laughs> really good so... book um, of uh, Pastor Xi, and he started mm. all these opium um, recovery centers. Mm. And he had been an opium addict, and he was really close to C.T. Studd. He oh, was really it. close to Hudson Taylor. Mm. And so his story, if you read his uh, biography, which I love, it corresponds and kind of weaves in and out, too. Oh, fun. But That's I don't so think cool. it's... Available in print. There was a Pastor Xi of Korea and a Pastor Xi of China. Oh, Both of those books are really good. No <laughs> women involved. So you're not going to hear about that on this yeah, program. Yeah, no, no, no. We'll unless see. we do a segment at Men some you point. Men know. you should yeah. know. But I don't know if that would be safe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they have all this going on. And they were even willing to be a little bit radical, even uh, ministering there. Sometimes CT would send Priscilla out somewhere to preach if if. He wasn't able to go or he thought, you know, a woman would be more um, welcome here, like we saw with Gladys Aylward. And they and did that a lot in China because they had the Bible women. There yeah. were Bible women yeah. that they would send out because Bible women could um, were safer mm-hmm. um, because it was the men that were usually attacked. And the Bible women could get into homes mm-hmm. and could uh, take the word of God. So a lot of uh, the strategy, yeah, uh, what became the strategy uh, of the China Inland Mission was to raise up these young women and teach them the Bible because they could get into the houses and teach others the Bible. Exactly. So they were called the Bible women. Yeah, exactly. And that was, yeah, there was an accessibility there mm-hmm. that was really, and I love that, that they were willing to yes. just adapt. Right. Like, this is where we're at. We're going to yes. serve this way. So they served, like I said, for about six, seven years. And then uh, they... In 1894, they had to go back home to England because of health issues. And this was something that was a recurring thing for both of them. CT had really bad asthma and some other problems as time went on. Priscilla had a heart condition. So they went back home. They have wanted they to go back. they had any children by then? Yes, they had started to have kids. You know, there actually was a little story. I don't know if I have time for it, but I'm going to share it anyway because it was kind of an important look at her and her perspective. Uh, they had four daughters. Um, they also had a son who died in infancy. And this was a crushing moment um, for Priscilla. But here's what she said about this. And I like the way that she, you know, the Lord worked in her in this. She said, I felt absolutely brokenhearted. The question was whether I was going to give in and the whole of my missionary life be wrecked. While Mr. Studd was away, I made a mark in my Bible and made a covenant with God that I was not going to let sorrow of any kind come into my life and ruin my life as a missionary. Um, I was not going to let my husband see sorrow that would unhinge him. Mm. And I love that because there's an acknowledgement where it's not saying like, I'm fine. Everything's okay. She was devastated. But she said, Lord, I'm going to give you the pain. I'm going to give you this hardship and allow you to use my brokenness for your glory and your purposes. And I'm going to walk forward with you. And this is something that's going to come into play later because uh, perspective in her life was really important and, and challenging in many instances. So they go back home to England uh, for a couple years, and C.T. started doing some evangelistic trips to the U.S., around the U.K., because he still is such a well-known figure. Like Cheryl was saying, the Holy Spirit just moved when he spoke. At one point, he was gone for 18 months uh, in the U.S. One time, he was able to bring Priscilla, and he said he'd rather have her on a platform than any man. So he loved having her there. It's just that sometimes the health issues got in the way. Well, in 1900, C.T. felt called to go serve in India, which is interesting because his family had plantations there 
And he had also donated a lot of his inheritance to ministry there. So he thought, well, I want to go and serve. And so this was kind of an interesting little season in their lives. For about six or seven years, they served in a town called Utakamund. And um, they ministered in a church there. Uh, But they also did a lot of ministry to um, British expats, which is unusual. Even their biographer says this was an unusual season for these people who were so radical and so uh, into, you know, roughing it and living in the culture. But here they are living in British society in India. It was kind of a strange season. But, you know, honestly, if you look at their whole lives, it was one of the happiest seasons for them as a family. And um, that was important because there were a lot of seasons, as we're going to see, that were challenging to their family ties. And so the fact that they were able to just spend time with the girls and and grow up there was was a good season. But uh, that season ended uh, in 1906. They went back to England. One daughter was getting married. Three of them went on to school in Switzerland. And this is when things get interesting. So (laughs) CT does his itinerant ministry again, which is what he'd been doing uh, every time they went back to the UK. But he started feeling restless, like, I want to go abroad again. And so in 1908, he's um, traveling through Liverpool on an evangelistic journey. And he sees a sign at the train station that says, cannibals want missionaries. (laughs) And only, (laughs) only a radical like C.T. Studd would look at that and be like, that sounds cool. (laughs) So he sees that there's a meeting being held. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm not leaving yet. I have to go hear this guy share. So he goes, uh, there was this German uh, pastor named Karl Kuhn who had tried to do some kind of ministry in, uh, I think, in the Sudan region to cannibals. And, uh, you know, that just captured, CT felt like the Lord was like, this is your next calling. And so there, in that meeting, without consulting or talking to anyone, his family, nothing, he just decides, okay, this is what God wants me to do next. And you got to understand, at this point, he's now, you know, he's pushing 50, which isn't necessarily disqualifying, but he has really bad health. Uh, His wife has a heart condition. He still has three daughters to provide for because only one of them was married. Um, But, you know, he kind of brushed all those obstacles aside and just said, well, I'm supposed to go. So he goes home and announces this, thinking his family's going to be overjoyed that he wants to go and minister to the cannibals alone, not even with Priscilla. I mean, and Priscilla is just freaking out. Her and her mom were just, just... They were like, what are you doing? His mom, sorry. You're going to ruin our lives. And so he couldn't believe their response. Which is something (laughs) that I remember that from the biography that Mm. they had to move in with his mother because they didn't have any money. That was a challenge as well. They lived with his mother and she provided for them from what would have been, you know, her uh, her money yeah, fr- her from when the husband died. Allotment, yeah. So I remember that. So Priscilla is living with her mother-in-law when they're in <sighs> it's England. It's so too. uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, and it was uncomfortable for the girls because it's like yes. we were living in upper class society, but we don't have the money for this. There mm-hmm. are so many social pressures. And, uh, you know, that actually really weighed on them yes. over time, especially once CT is like wanting to go off and right. do all these things on his own. Right. They're stuck there kind of like, right. OK, what and do we do? And they're like the impoverished relatives yes. living yep. with the wealthy ones. And he's not making any income and he's off on the mission field. Plus, he's not like um, it's not like he's bearing a lot of fruit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. At this, yeah, especially in these early times. I mean, over time, the right. Lord bore a lot of fruit, but in the early, those early seasons, and of he his, needs support. 
so Priscilla was supposed to be, uh, mm-hmm. if I remember right, raising support for him back mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. England. So he had left her there to raise support for him. Yeah. And he had gone, what he did was he did like a little tour and then came back to recruit young guys to go with him, not to bring right. her, no, but to recruit young guys to go. And so she's just like, wait a minute. So she's stuck there. And during that first journey, when he did his exploratory visit, she was so begrudging. She stood against him and opposed him every step of the way, was really upset and understandably so. Uh, but then after he came back and recruited the young guys to go, this was another one of those moments where the Lord did a work in Priscilla's uh, perspective. And, uh, you know, he said, and he said to Priscilla, he said, God is putting on us an amazing honor. And he said, you know, we, he, he's giving us a chance to sacrifice all for him. What a privilege. And so she did not see it that way. Early on, she's just like, this is not a privilege. You should be bringing me. The missions board all felt like she should go with him. Like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? But, you know, you got to understand that is his heart. He really felt like we're sacrificing everything, but it's for the kingdom. And so Priscilla came to the point where she recognized, you know what? I can't do anything about this. My circumstances are kind of out of my control. I can't control my husband. I can't get through to him. All I can do is work on my perspective and how I'm going to respond to this. And she comes out of this like a rock star. I mean, just shining. And she decides at that point, you know what? I'm not going to let these things dictate my life. I'm going to move forward with the Lord and whatever he uh, provides for me to do. And boy, was this going to be a challenge because CT was a challenging guy. He, <laughs> he, um, you know, he created... Now, you know, he like I said, he meant well, but he created a lot of tensions and havoc. issues. He created a lot of havoc with his missions. He went with the Mission Society to Africa with these guys. Two months later, he breaks away from the missions board and decides to do his own thing. And they're all like, wait a minute. Remember, they can't communicate well because this is from Africa to England. And so there's all of this misunderstanding. And CT, you know, because he was such a radical over the years, uh, he'd gotten so used to people questioning everything he did that he was becoming more and more cantankerous and more and more defensive about his decisions. And so he's lashing out at people and creating all of these problems. And Priscilla, like you said, she's back home trying to raise funds for his new mission, the Heart of Africa mission, and, and, and trying to cover for all of his mistakes, all of the fallout and all of the drama uh, from these issues. He even got extreme with his fellow missionaries. Um, at one point, he said they were eating too much. Like, you can't eat these meals because you this money should go for the gospel. And so <laughs> um, not only that, but there were some controversial decisions that he made. Um, He had gnarly health issues, and so he was taking morphine regularly and became a morphine addict. It was the normal part of the medicine chest back then. It was. But, I mean, but it was—and it was—for him, it was like, well, this is all about ministry. But it was like, no, you're kind of addicted. This is really hard. And then he starts this um, order— um, called the DCD, and pardon me, uh, folks, but it was called uh, I Don't Care a Damn. And it was an order, it was a document he made everyone in the ministry sign. It was like a vow that everybody had to sign saying, henceforth, I don't care a damn for anything but the glory of Jesus, obedience to God, and the evangelization of the world. So he was just so <laughs> intense Our, yes. trying to get people to, you know, um, really consider the cost and kind of using shock value. And so um, Priscilla was just, I said, like I said, a rock star. She had to smooth over all of these crazy erratic decisions, his harsh words. At one time when she tried to reason with him, he accused her of disloyalty. (laughs) And so, but she continued. And I'm like, man, we think about like marriage and I'm like, wow, 
you see like for better, for worse and all of those kind of things. She is such an example, I think, and an encouragement to those that maybe are in a difficult marriage. I've had people tell me that are in difficult marriages how her story really ministers to them because she chose unto the Lord to just serve the Lord fully no matter what her husband was doing. And honestly, she became so fruitful running the mission from home, representing him faithfully, and everyone adored her. Um, she actually was miraculously healed at one point and began to travel. And she, uh, like I said, promoted the ministry, eventually became called the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, which it still is today. And it wouldn't have carried on if it wasn't for Priscilla. Let me just read this quote from her biographer. He said, Priscilla continued in faith and obedience, even when she didn't understand. Faithfully, she labored and trusted God to cause all things to work together for good. She could have been a disappointed, lonely, sour old lady, but she chose the opposite and was 100% loyal to her husband. She spoke well of him, which is amazing, and with all her energies, worked with him to see his vision accomplished. Just, I mean, again, that willingness to say, Lord, this is where I'm at. And it's hard. This isn't easy. This is not an easy man to be married to, but I'm going to do this unto you. And, you know, she could have been bitter. She could have been sour, but she chose instead to give all that to the Lord. And he made her so fruitful as a result. Now, who died first? Uh, I believe he did. And then she passed away January of 1929 and he died in Africa. That's right. I remember that part because his daughter was with him. That's another story. Oh, that's a whole nother story. We don't know if we're going to do that one or not. We keep debating. She was, yeah, I know. But she was a shining uh, example. Yes. For sure. Of following the Lord in all circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, I love the fact, even though she had been on the mission field in some way, she had to die to all that in order yes, to she serve really did. and yeah. to be with him. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I love that. <laughs> so we want to say thank you for listening. I'm Cheryl Broderson, and I'm here in studio with Jasmine Allnut. <laughs> and for more information about um, our ministries, you can visit CherylBroderson.com or you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. And you can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. and Facebook. Ooh. And thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.